Oh, yeah. Because I have a very good brain. Children do learn. This is a house of learned doctors. I took a speed reading course, and not to brag, but my speed shot up to 43 pages a minute. <laughs> but my comprehension plummeted. Very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm pissed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am royally pissed. I'm not going to have Pepsi with baby flavoring in it. I mean, what the hell have we become? Excuse me. Hello. Hey. Randy. Mr. Lee. Randy. But Ms. Wiggins. Randy. Randy. Are we having fun yet? Yeah. Come on, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 39 of the Reading Rain Bros. I am your host, Jonathan Slade, alongside Michael Sally. Babo. And what up indeed. Now, this is a super special episode because Babo informed me this morning that this is exactly uh, about three years to the date of the first episode of the Reading Rain Bros. And that was all the way back. We did the Jordan Peterson book, 12 Rules for Life. Does it even feel like three years, Babo? Oh, man. Time <laughs> flies when you're reviewing books, right? I mean, <laughs> That's what they say. That's what they say. <laughs> that's, that's, that is what they say. It's, no, it's been, a, it's been a hell of a ride and uh, excited to still be here talking about some awesome books. Right. And it's funny. We were just, you know, young guys back then just starting to cast and now we're world-renowned international uh, celebrities yeah. basically in the podcast space it's like it's really basically. just like us joe rogan and then i don't even know if there's anyone else <laughs> in the space yeah that's pretty much it. <laughs> not a lot of podcasts out there to speak of really no. barely <laughs> anyone is our starting podcast these days <laughs> Yeah, I'm um, glad we're the first to jump on this train. Yep. Yes. Um, now, the book we are discussing for our three-year anniversary is called "Flaming Hot" by Richard P. Montañez, and it's the incredible true story of one man's rise from janitor to top executive. So, this guy is the alleged creator of "Flaming Hot Cheetos." And um, mm. Bobo, why don't you, I always love when you give the intro to kind of the background story, because there's a background story, and then there's a real background story, and then there's emerging details coming out, and maybe you can cover what we've been learning lately. Mm. Muchas gracias. So, that let us introduce, so Richard Montañez apparently started out as a janitor at a Frito-Lay factory plant down in the Inland Empire of, of Southern California. And it, it was a real uh, rags to riches story. And uh, he's uh, the first Mexican-American to be promoted to an executive level position at, at Frito-Lay. And uh, this story kind of really lays out, uh, you know, putting yourself out there and not letting uh, where you come from, define who you are, no need to kind of stay in the line that society thinks you should be in. And, um, you know, he really talks about, you know, some kind of pretty cheesy lines about how you're flaming hot and, uh, you know, destiny is in your hands and, you know, a lot of kind of motivational speaking kind of uh, themes throughout this story. And, 
You know, it was definitely inspirational and uh, really kind of speaks to how you can't let the the corporate hierarchy in place kind of keep you down. And, and, and you really, if you, if you have a great idea, if you have a, an innovation that's going to propel, like, you know, your company forward, then you got to kind of go for it. It's all, you know, definitely easier said than done. Um, but you know, there are a lot of interesting lessons in here about business in general, kind of like branding and marketing and kind of empowering yourself to kind of create your own destiny in the business world and really kind of being an, an entrepreneur and, and, and taking pride in your work and not working for the company that pays your paycheck, but working for your namesake and being proud of what you do, no matter how menial or tedious your, your tasks are. And so it's really kind of, you know, really showing the how you can be your best uh, future self and not letting, you know, your current position in, in life define who you are. And so, def, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't the most, uh, not as many awesome real uh, takeaways in, in this book from a business perspective. I think it was more so just um, really kind of uh, an interesting story, but was it just that a story or was this a real thing that happened? So in yeah. doing some research for this book, found an LA times article that came out in May just before this book came out in June of this year, uh, talking about how Montañez embellished a little bit and he wasn't really the creator of flame and hot Cheetos. And he, <laughs> uh, you know, Frito lay was kind of talk, you know, contradicting his, what, you know, his, his claims to being the inventor of it. And, and now that kind of really pokes a hole in his whole argument is like, how much of this was true? Did he just embellish a little bit or is he just making all this up so he could launch his motivational speaking and, you know, uh, have a, you know, they're actually making a film about him, uh, about this story, about his rags to riches, janitor to executive story. So really, really interesting story behind the story, if you will. Um, but but yeah, it, it was a really interesting read and I, I enjoyed it. But looking back on it, it's it's really kind of blown my mind because it makes you wonder how much of it was actually true. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I think it adds a little bit of intrigue where it's like, you know, Frito Lay is coming out and saying it's an urban legend. People that were there at the time that Richard was there are saying that he couldn't have done it because of the, the release of flaming hot at the time that he claimed. So this is a big claim to fame is that mm -hmm. he directly pitched flaming hot to Roger Enrico, the CEO of PepsiCo and mm -hmm. Roger Enrico's dead now. So he can't, he can't corroborate the story and say, because right. what, what happens now is that he's been in the book and on his tour, he talks about how he approached Roger Enrico. And that's his whole claim to fame also is that, don't like Bob O said, don't get caught in the hierarchy, go right to the person that can make the decision. And cause you'll have people above and below you that will try to sabotage you. He talks about the backstabbing uh -huh. and other people trying to claim that he didn't uh -huh. do it, which he kind of alludes to, but I'm sure there's some legalese in there. He can't get into, but Roger cannot corroborate 
his story anymore. Okay. And I don't even know if he would, but this is his whole thing about if you have a great idea, bring it to someone that can make it happen. If, even if you're the janitor, like he was, um, I do think that one of his defenders makes a good point. That's like, he's been pitching and talking about this experience for years, years. It's not just recently. Now, all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodwork saying that this didn't happen. And now people are saying I created it or something like that. So there's like a quote I read recently about like, when legend becomes fact, print the legend, like don't facts, whatever. Those are just murky details that get in the way of the story. So I think this is what we have here, but the way that he explains it makes it seem like this could have happened because he was on the production line. He was watching how things were made and he was very much involved in the like lower socioeconomic class of, of the Latino community. And he said like, there's no spice in any of these products. I can make it my wife and my kids. We know how to create this thing. It was very plausible to me. So the story makes sense. And as a movie going to be directed by Eva Longoria, I could see it being like a really a big hit, like people will like it. So in terms of um, some of the other details, it is a good lesson about he's his main thing is think like an executive would think. Even if you're a janitor, what can you do for your brand, your personal motivation that if you were a CEO, like how would you act? So that's a good mindset. He also captures one thing that I think a lot of intuitive thinkers think about, which is if you get a sudden insight, like trust it and follow it and then build it and see what happens. It may not work out, but use that instinct you have and run with it. So that from, from like a creative standpoint, trust your intuition move forward um, in a, in a directed manner. Um, So I think whether or not it's an urban legend is a good story. Um, And I don't think it necessarily hurts like Fritos or hurts the, the, like his brand at all. It's not like they're going to, I don't think it'll come out as a fraud and people will be like, we're never having you speak at Harvard or anything like that. What do you think, Bobo? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I think, when you brought up the, so Roger Enrico was the CEO and president at the time. And the, probably the pinnacle of this story was the big sales pitch meeting that they had where there were like a hundred executives that came in all around the country. Um, and Roger Enrico, who initially inspired Montañez to come up with the Frito, with the, the Flamin' Hot Cheetos idea, because he was asking all of his employees to come up with ideas, which I think is, is a good kind of leadership style to kind of empower your employees to come up with initiatives and, and, and best practices to kind of move the company forward. But from that LA Times article I was reading, uh, Al Carey, who was another executive in the company, said that Roger was never in the room. So that really kind of blew up that whole kind of story. And it really kind of makes you think like, you know, how much of this, how much of this was actually true. And, and one quote that, that Al Carey had is that of course stories grow and the longer we get away from the date, the stories evolve. Uh, I'll bet Richard's added a little flavor to it. Um, (laughs) So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how, 
he's he's telling this story and you got to put it into context because he's retired as an executive from Frito-Lay just a couple of years ago. And now he's on the public speaking circuit talking to, you know, big, big corporations getting like 10 grand to 50 grand per speaking gig. So he's got to have a great story to tell. And so it, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think this, you know, could impact his future career, but in this day and age in our postmodern, you know, truth doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. It's all mm-hmm. about narrative. It's all about story. So regardless of the facts, like this all happened a few decades ago, no one's going to really know what really happened. And Richard got his story out there and people are clamoring to it and identifying with it and being inspired by it. So I don't, I don't think it's going to hurt his, you know, his second, you know, second career right. on the speaking circuit and, and being an author and stuff. But yeah, he had some interesting kind of overarching lessons to kind of act like an owner and taking pride in everything that you do um, and taking initiative. Don't wait for someone to tell you what to do to really go out there and get after it, ask questions. Don't, don't be afraid to sound stupid. Don't be afraid to be ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. take it upon yourself to find out what needs to be done and, and do it. And, you know, just take ownership in, you know, your, your career and, and take, you know, take your destiny by the horns or what have mm-hmm. you. But, and then he talks about how, if you're feeling stuck, then try to get out of your comfort zone and, and push yourself because that's what owners do. They don't just stay in their comfort zone and stay in their safe space. They get, they get out there and, and get after it and, and, <laughs> and kind of relish in the, the hard work. And right. he kind of talks about how finding a mentor is, is important and you have to kind of bring up your own, you know, you got to be competitive and you got to really, bring up the fact that you want a promotion or you want to raise, or you want to be doing more with your job and, and kind of grow and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, it's just it's interesting. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff. And, and this idea of like, he talks about, he doesn't say entrepreneurship, but it basically like when you're at a company and you have ideas and you want to promote them and you're getting some recognition, what I took away from this is like, he says, be ready for those who are going to like, are waiting to shoot you down, tell you that you're out of line, tell you to swim in your lane, tell you that, Hey, you know, he always mentions like, Hey, are we paying you to learn this software? Are we paying you to come up with these ideas? And he had to really keep a, a very like, watch your back CY attitude. So he was never clocking out, clocking in too early or clocking out late. He was always keeping his ducks in a row because, you know, when you shine as an entrepreneur in your company, that makes other people look bad. And then when other people look bad, they'll do what they can to sabotage you to like decrease the amount that they look bad. So if you're overshadowing someone that's above you, like if you're a manager and then a, a subordinate comes up with an idea that makes you look irrelevant, well, your manager is going to feel like they want you to like either say, stop doing that. We don't pay you for that or sabotage it. I What I'm confused about is just like, it seems like there. Sh- if you invented something, there should be no equivocation if you did or not. This confuses me. It's like, did you invent the Apple computer or not? It's like, no, it's like, it's, it's weird how these inventions yeah. get like, 
because there's no social media, there's no do- like documentation is murky. The timelines of discussions or when when things and patents were filed are are weird. So it's like, do you think that my point makes any sense? We're like, how is it not crystal clear who created Flame and Hot? It's not like two different people had the same idea at the same time, or they were working on it together and then they're just trying to fight over who did it. Because he's that's not it. Like it's not like his co-partner and him had a falling out. There was no one else. And now this other person is saying, this Lynn something is saying, oh, I know that was me. I did it. What do you think about that? It should be clear. Yeah, you would think so. But, you know, this all happened like 30, 32 years ago when this was being developed. And I think it's, you know, I think it's interesting that the LA Times spoke with like 20 people who worked in the Frito-Lay division responsible for product development. And none of them recalls the episode of, of that hundred executive presentation with the CEO present that Montagna has described that I mentioned earlier as even taking place. Um, so, and then, you know, Al Carey kind of has some, you know, he said that flaming hot Cheetos were not out in the market. The, the, the product was developed by those guys in the plant. Uh, but then he also says that, you know, oh, there was probably a spicy Cheeto out in Chicago or LA or somewhere. And then he says stories evolve over time. And Richard was definitely involved in it. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, your inclination to dr- dramatize, dramatize it a little bit, you got to stay away from that because you have to speak in, 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 in truth and, <laughs> and be in right. reality. But, but yeah, it, it is interesting how I think the farther away you get from something that, you know, the more that the stories evolve and change. And I think it kind of speaks to memory as well when things aren't documented, especially in a, a big corporation like Frito-Lay, PepsiCo. I mean, things can be fabricated and, and, and our memories, like we can't even remember what happened like a year ago, clearly, you know, so things in your mind and your memories can evolve over time into thinking something that that didn't really happen. So, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because they're, you know, the, the Frito-Lay was very, very firm. And it's saying that, you know, Richard was not involved in any capacity in, in the, in the development of, of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. And it says, we don't celebrate Richard. And then Al Carey says that Flamin' Hot Cheetos wouldn't have happened without Richard, but (laughs) It didn't seem like it. It didn't seem like the the way he told it is the way it really happened. But then again, who do you believe here? <laughs> right. I think because here's here's a couple of things though. There's like kind of two statements, but one question, which is like, um, would his story have been promoted more if he was not an immigrant? Rags to Riches story because that's that's really hot these days. It's always been a, a pretty kind of American dream type deal. But the other thing is right. Frito Lay would be so inclined to promote it as a, we empower our employees. We don't care where you're from. You can have a great idea, but they're, yeah. they're actively saying it didn't happen. So it's almost like if, even if they were like, oh, he might've been involved, they would still promote it, but they're not with a perfect marketing opportunity. Doesn't that seem like there must be something more if they're not actively being like, yeah, he, he did it. It was him. We we helped him. We empowered him. We've yeah. always PepsiCo Frito Lay. We're a you know rag search story. That's what we promote here. Yeah, I think it is really interesting how 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 much Frito Lay denounced Montagna's story, 
And I think that's really kind of old school thinking when managers try to not celebrate their employees' accomplishments. They shouldn't be threatened by that. They should be celebrating it. They should be pointing to an innovation that an employee made and, and really kind of uh, how holding that up as a case study to other employees about how you can uh, have a great idea and implement it. Um, you know, it's all about kind of figuring out how the process works and looking into ways to improve it. Um, so yeah, I mean, from a company perspective, you would think that they would be celebrating it, especially in this day and age when, when people are, you know, so inspired by, uh, you know, people that come from, I mean, there are even some holes in the story about him saying he dropped out in the fourth grade and there's like evidence of him being a freshman at uh, some high school. So like, He's trying to really play up the rags portion of his rags to riches story when it doesn't seem like it's entirely true. So, yeah, you would think that people would be celebrating, a, you know, a Mexican-American working his way up from janitor to executive. And I think that's why the story in this book is caught on so much. But it is really telling that, you know, especially today with with major corporations kind of really trying to play up the diversity side of things that this, that they wouldn't say that, yeah, Richard was instrumental in the invention of the Flamin' Hot Cheeto. And we, you know, are really proud to have him. They said, you know, they had like some throwaway statement saying that, you know, that, well, that doesn't mean we don't celebrate Richard, but the facts do not support the urban legend. So they Mm -hmm. call it an urban legend in their statement to the LA times just a, just a few months ago. So, yeah, (laughs) well, um, you know, in terms of other, the last thing I'll say on it is I think the reason why this book for me personally didn't play as well as some of the other books is because I think the books that play better are the opposite where it's like, it's riches to rags, like billion dollar loser (laughs) is such a great story. Yeah fall from gray stories are so much yeah. more interesting or like bad blood or some of the other ones where it's like, this was all great going well. And it turns out it just the tragic business story is so much better. I think there's more lessons learned than I like feel good story. I really think that. Sure. Um, yeah. So the story be- up from the beginning always seemed too good to be true. It was like, and it ended up, it was too good. To be true. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the fact there. Um, so that's why I'm probably going to too perfect. Right? It, it was, it, it was like, it was like a movie is going to could be made about it. The, yeah, that's why the rating for me is going to be a little bit lower than I typically give on books. So it's going to be 6.25 out of 10. I had some, some takes not, I don't even think they were flaming hot takes, just some, some basic takes, but so I'm going to give it a 6.25 there. Um, Baba, what do you say? Uh, I'll probably give it a 73%. I was probably in the eighties before I did a little background research and, and read that LA times article. I think there were, you know, some interesting takeaways from it and it was a, a great story to read. And I thought it was, you know, a real story, but fictionalized, <laughs> which, which is fine. It was a great, it was a interesting read. It was fun to read and, it was inspirational at times and there are some, some lessons to be gleaned from it. 
Um, but again, I think the story behind the story is even more interesting than the story itself. So it'd be interesting to see where Montañez goes from here, if there's any kind of fallout from any of this, or if people don't care about facts anymore <laughs> or the truth. Well, we're, we, you and I are going to have to go watch the movie when it comes out and give a... Like I a think they've already movie. casted for it. I, I think they're going to be filming soon. So I wonder who, yeah. who's going to play him. That's going to be interesting. Probably Keanu, hopefully. <laughs> um, I want to do some just housekeeping, housekeeping as I always do. So I know we took about a month off. So, you know, the stats are my, might be a little bit different than I'm used to relaying, but um, Columbus, Ohio takes this top city again. That Midwest is loving the bros. Um, we have a new international um, viewership, which is from Brussels. So that's, they had a decent showing. And then Austin, Texas uh, comes in again. I think Austin's always been like one of our biggest supporters. So um, Spotify, we're, we are growing month over month. We have six new subscribers and we have 114 new u- unique listeners on Spotify. So I keep saying it every month we do it like Spotify, just like if you're a podcaster, I think make sure you're on Spotify because they do a great job of promoting new things. And I think they might just have a good search function that gets the right stuff in front of you. So um, mm-hmm. that's, that's really it for episode 39. I would say um, we've done three years. I mean, what's stopping us from doing another three? Absolutely. <laughs> and they get I to that hundred, or at least need to do a hundred episodes before a hundred books before we know where we're at. Oh, easy. <laughs> well, um, Bobo, thanks so much for doing another episode with me. So I believe uh, next month will be your choice. I'm excited to read the next book for episode 40. So get ready for that. And this is episode 39 of the Reading Rain Bros. I'm your host, Jonathan Slade, alongside my conciliary Bobo. And we will see you guys next time.